From the Financial Times in London, I'm Jyotsna Singh and this is News in Focus where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. India has gone from being known as the world's fastest growing large economy to being a country in the midst of a sharp economic slowdown. Here with me to discuss what went wrong is Amy Kasman, our Delhi Bureau Chief. Amy, until recently, India was admired for its booming economy when the country was enjoying growth of 8%. What was driving this? For the last few years, India had indeed reveled in its status as the world's fastest growing large economy. Decades earlier, it had been really grown at painfully slow levels of 2 to 3%, which had been mocked as the Hindu rate of growth. That was a time when India's economy was completely controlled by the state, an era known as the License Raj, which was very, very socialist-oriented and a kind of Soviet-style state planning where the government would decide just how many cars could be made and just how many telephone lines would be issued. And in fact, there was huge scarcity of everything that people wanted. In 1991, India began a huge economic reform process and relaxed the grip of the state over the economy, finally unleashing businesses' entrepreneurial energies and allowing businesses to respond to consumer demands. India is a young country with low levels of per capita income. It has plenty of room to raise living standards through growth. In the last few years, growth had somewhat faltered a bit, but had also been propped up by strong government spending, which helped support the economy. There was also a credit boom where credit was made available to companies to undertake ambitious infrastructure projects. And then later, credit was made available to consumers for the first time. In the old days of India, people had to save for their whole life to collect enough money to, say, buy a house. In more recent years, consumer credit has been made available to people so they could buy a house and slowly pay it off over the course of their working life. And that increased demand for other things. So overall, the energies of this economy were unleashed and the economy was really booming. Prime Minister Narendra Modi won a second term with a thumping majority in elections in May this year. Was the economy a big issue in the elections? That's a very, very interesting question because what we see from the data that we now have available is that in the year before Mr. Modi's election, the economy had already begun to slow dramatically. Growth was 8% in the spring of 2018, and a year later it had fallen to 5%, which is very, very sharp. There were warning signs that there was a sharp slowdown. There were signs of rural distress in the months up to the election. There had been protests by farmers complaining about hardships, complaining about their low incomes, complaining about incredible rural distress. The agricultural economy definitely appeared to be faltering and under strain. And yet the economy didn't turn out to be such a huge issue. 
That, in part, is because while rural distress had looked like it was going to be a big issue in the lead-up to the elections, the entire conversation changed back in February when there was a terror attack on a bus carrying paramilitary personnel in Kashmir, and it was a suicide bomber, and 44 personnel were killed, paramilitary police, and in the aftermath of that, the entire conversation in India changed to national security. Prime Minister Narendra Modi vowed vengeance for the deaths of the police personnel, and within weeks, India had undertaken a military strike on an alleged terror camp in Pakistan, and it was the first time that India has ever taken such an assertive action against Pakistan. So these missile attacks on a site in Pakistan were a very dramatic event, which really galvanized public opinion. The entire discourse of the election turned onto national security and the need for a muscular, strong state. And really, economic issues fell by the wayside. The opposition Congress party was trying to talk about the economy and trying to draw attention to what appeared to be signs of a sharp slowdown. But really, the public mood was not in a mood to listen. Although the numbers that were released in the wake of the voting showed that, in fact, by the time voters went to the polls, the economy was skidding to a slowdown. How big a setback is this for Modi's plan to modernize the country? India is actually facing a series of very serious economic challenges. When Modi came to power in 2014, he promised to rev up growth and create millions and millions of new jobs. And the fact of the matter is those jobs haven't really been created. There's 12 million people entering the workforce every year because of the young population. Many of them really don't have that much to do. For a while, households in a mood of general optimism spent down on their household savings. And they also had access to credit for the first time due to a big boom in consumer finance companies that was making credit available to households to buy things like motorcycles or cars or even homes. But in fact, jobs haven't materialized People's incomes haven't gone up, and actually they have started to really rein in their spending. Data shows that household savings has dropped dramatically in the last few years, which means that people were actually spending their accumulated earnings, but after drawing down their savings, suddenly they're kind of putting the brakes on their spending. So consumer spending, which had been one of the major engines of growth, has really faltered because jobs haven't been created and incomes aren't rising. This is contributing to a vicious circle, in fact, because people are starting to lose jobs. And so it's reinforcing that mood of caution. But there are other factors contributing to the slowdown too. In the last few years, especially during Modi's first term, government spending played a very, very important role in driving growth forward. But the government doesn't have any room left for spending. It's struggling to meet its fiscal deficit target as it is. It's living beyond its means. It's crowding out private investment. So there's no more room for really fiscal stimulus. And the third big engine of growth in India 
is private investment. A decade ago, private investment played a huge role in India's growth story. There was a major boom in projects undertaken by large companies. But the problem is that private investment has been flat for like a decade, ever since the global financial crisis. Many of the big ambitious projects that were undertaken more than a decade ago were never completed. They ran into all kinds of financial trouble. The banking system is weighed down by heavy levels of bad debt. So credit isn't available. Companies that might undertake investment still are wrestling with their old debt. So the financial system is really in a huge mess also. And the Modi government hasn't really been seen as taking the necessary tough steps to break this logjam. Are there any big policy mistakes that Modi has made? Many people think that Narendra Modi's dramatic move to ban the use of most of the country's currency in November 2016, three years ago, inflicted major damage on the economy. People at the time said this is going to have a huge impact on growth. The move basically invalidated 85% of the currency in circulation in a country where many, many transactions are carried out in cash. A vast and poor country where many people don't have access to the banking system and also with many, many small enterprises that are operating under the tax net and under the legal net. So the demonetization inflicted a mortal blow on huge sways of this informal economy. The intention was that many of these informal enterprises would be forced by this blow to declare themselves and start to operate more within the legal ambit. But many of them just shut down because they actually weren't competitive when they had to comply with all of India's rules and regulations. And at the same time, agricultural incomes have been squeezed by policies intended to hold down consumer price inflation. So overall, there have been policies that have really had a very, very dampening effect. The interesting thing is that at the time that demonetization happened, many economists predicted that this would have a huge impact and really be a major blow to growth. In fact, it showed that India's economy appeared to recover quickly. But what actually happened is all this cash that had been out there in circulation flowed back into the formal financial system and then it became pushed back out as consumer credit. So it financed a short consumer credit boom. But finally, all these things have come to a halt because of the root problem of lack of investment, lack of job creations. And there's only so much you can spend on credit if you don't have a better job opportunity. And that is just what is not materializing. So what does the government need to do to rectify the situation? So India's economy really now seems to have hit quite a funk and reviving confidence of investors and consumers won't necessarily be very easy. One of the biggest problems facing the economy is the weakness of the financial system. The financial system is still dominated by state-owned banks, weighed down with bad loans. Many of them have turned exceedingly cautious about extending any fresh credit because they've seen that 
predecessors in state banks are being criminally prosecuted for loans that went bad, even when those loans were extended in good faith. There's been an inability to completely work out the bad debts left over from the past and clear companies so that they could go forward. I mean, it's often described as the twin balance sheet problem. The government did push through a new bankruptcy law that was supposed to help resolve cases of bad debt more quickly, but these processes haven't really delivered as up to their expectations. So I think the most critical issue is wrestling with the problems of the financial system and then trying to also figure out how to restore investor confidence so that investments come and you get a positive cycle of consumption picking up and demand picking up and get growth back on track. But the reality is, is that many of the largest companies in India are facing acute financial difficulties. They're really in a mess. They're in no position to invest and grow. And the government really does need to wrestle with these challenges. How is the slowdown impacting people's daily lives? Many Indians own tiny little businesses of their own. Many are contract workers in factories. The auto sector has laid off tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers. Even those workers who have retained their jobs have seen their income slump because a typical pay package in India involves a base salary and then lots of overtime. A lot of people in the auto sector, particularly where growth has just collapsed. I mean, auto sales have contracted by double digit figures for months. And the impact of that is huge numbers of people laid off, many, many more people seeing their incomes fall dramatically and thus reinforcing that tendency towards reduced spending, which is just creating this really, really negative downward spiral. To what extent are international financial conditions beyond Modi's control to blame for India's downturn? The government would really like to portray India's current difficulties as a result of turbulent international circumstances, a kind of subdued global economy. But the reality is, is that India is a huge country with a lot of room for growing as it seeks to meet its own needs. India has never been a large exporter of manufactured products, which is the big area that has been hard hit by the trade war between Donald Trump and China. India isn't well integrated into global supply chains. India isn't a massive exporter of goods, although it does have important service exports like IT services. But in reality, the crisis that it's facing now is very much a made in India crisis. Thanks, Amy, and thanks for listening. Don't forget if you missed our episodes on Ukraine's role in the U.S. impeachment inquiry or how to curb our addiction to plastic. You can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.